Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi there, everyone. Ed here. Welcome back for another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, I am joined by co-host Stephen Feldman. Stephen, it has been a long time since you and I have caught up. How are you doing? How's your summer going? It's been a long time. It's been a great summer. Lots of outdoor activity in the garden. We're now farmers in Muswell Hill. How's it been for you? I think you've been on a road trip. I have been on a road trip. We rented a car and drove up to Germany, where my family is from, and we've been spending the summer here. It's been fantastic. We've also been uh, outside in nature quite a lot, which was, frankly, much needed after after the long lockdown. So it's been good. Yeah, and for whatever reason, you and I haven't had a chance to speak here on the podcast in quite a while. I think mid June was our last was our last chat. Uh, we've had a lot of good guests, so thanks to all of them. But it's of course time for us for for you and I to catch up once again. Indeed it is. For, for everyone out there listening, we are recording today on August 6th. So this episode will probably go live in a week or two. And Stephen, of course, this is a, we're, we're very close to a momentous event. It is OpenStreetMap's birthday, 16th birthday. Wow. Who would have thought that they would have... I mean, when they first started, you know, and it was a few guys going around on their bicycles with GPS... Who would have thought that 16 years later they would be going stronger than ever and have mapped the world? It's quite a remarkable achievement. It truly is, yes. I I can remember my own skepticism the first time I met. I had a meeting with Steve Coast and (laughs) Mikel Marin uh, in central London. And yeah, I I remember being a bit skeptical. And here we are. Here we are. The world is, is mapped. Millions of edits every single day. Millions of people have signed up to contribute. So congratulations to everyone. Well done. Yeah, happy birthday, OpenStreetMap. And uh, I think actually a big round of applause for Steve Coast because he gets a little bit of flack on occasions. But if ever there was an inspirational idea, that was it. Yes, I agree. Well, do I have, I have actually written to Steve Dasky to get, get him on the podcast. We'll have to have him on at some point. But for those of you that haven't listened yet, we actually earlier today I published an episode with Alan Mustard, who is... Of course, the chairperson of the OpenStreetMap Foundation board, um, and I think it's quite a good conversation where where we talk about the success of OpenStreetMap, but also some of the big challenges facing the community, which I guess is to be expected when you when the community is literally the entire world. So it's a big task and a lot of people working on it. So it's not going to be easy. But yeah, give that a listen if you haven't heard it yet. So I think it's also interesting. You know, it's their 16th birthday. So if you look at that as a they're a teenager now, but you'd say, well, they're, they've still got some growing up to do. But in fact, I think those years have added more maturity to them. And the organization now feels to me like a much more mature and sustainable organization than it did when I first engaged with it, for example. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. There's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people using OpenStreetMap heavily. All those people want OpenStreetMap to succeed. So many contributors you know, all across the world, but of course, individuals, companies, government, local government, bigger, you know, mega multinational companies. So it's great. Yeah. And the HOT team got quite a big grant recently, didn't they? If I remember correctly. Uh, Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, they got They did get a big grant. Yeah, we need to get someone from Hot on and have them give an update. That's that's also that would be a good. uh, That was from Jeff Bezos's wife, wasn't it? Um, She's funding a lot of causes at the moment. I mean, the list is a hundred long, but I know HOT was on that and I know the grants are substantial grants. They're 
seven or eight figure grants. So that's going to give them a lot of capacity to spread OpenStreetMap to some of the lesser mapped parts of the world, I would imagine. Well, you know, what? on our blog, on the OpenCage blog, we do interviews with different OpenStreetMap communities around the world, and we've been doing this for a couple of years. One thing that's been really fascinating is seeing, particularly in Africa, the community has really been growing a lot. And, you know, now they have State of the Map Africa and things like that. I mean, I haven't, I haven't physically been, but from what I see online, the community really seems to be growing and, you know, initially started by this kind of humanitarian type mapping, but since then has taken, you know, very, very substantial local communities and things. So, yeah, I mean, the work they've done on community development, whether it's HOT or OSM Core, has been fantastic. And you've, you know, I know from when I was in Dar es Salaam for uh, Phosphagy a couple of years ago, that was a joint Phosphagy and HOT summit. And the passion of these young African mappers is something to be seen because it is really impressive, you know, and, and I think it's very empowering for them, you know, as well. You know, I mean, there's a whole generation able to make a difference, both in terms of mapping their country and everything that that means, but also in terms of getting to grips with the technology and everything. So, you know, it's, it's changing the whole color. No, when I say color, I don't mean in the literal sense, but I mean, the, the whole sh shape of OpenStreetMap is being changed by all these people from the less mapped parts of the world getting engaged and actually starting to take ownership of their part of the map. Yeah, I think it's great. So congrats to yep. everyone out there who has contributed to map. Everyone should celebrate. You can also celebrate, of course, by keep on mapping. I actually did some mapping this week, added a few addresses here in the neighborhood. Keep mapping. Keep it up, everyone. Great work. The big problem for me is that the part of London that I live in, I mean, apart from the fact that Harry Wood lives not too far away from me. So if there is anything that's unmapped, I think he spots it and maps it before anybody else could get a chance. It's, it's difficult to find anything to map in my part of London. But I guess house numbers and addresses are the next big thing to try and get. Yeah, it's still needed. And even in the countries, I mean, I'm, I'm now in Germany, which everyone holds up as one of the most mapped countries. But, you know, the roads are there, but there are many addresses that are missing, buildings that are missing. I find I'm in a rural area right now, and there's always lots of stuff to add. So, you know, keep your eyes open. So, yep. So happy birthday, OpenStreetMap. Yeah, happy birthday, OpenStreetMap. So I think when we last spoke, Stephen, it was shortly before your your big event, yeah, Phosphor G UK, where which you were the one of the main organizers of and and uh, gave a big talk out. How'd it go? It was fantastic. It was fantastic. We had a thousand people registered. I think we had about six hundred, six hundred and fifty people were actually logged in at some stage during the day, and. They came from something like 77 different countries. Over half of them weren't from the UK. Peak count that we had was, I think, about 450 people online at one moment. So, yeah, it was great. All the technology worked. Everybody enjoyed it. We didn't have any code of conduct violations that we had to concern ourselves with or anything like that. It was fantastic and, you know, got loads of great feedback. So... All in all, a great event. And it prompts you to think, you know, six volunteers managed to put this event together, gather 40-odd speakers, a 1,000 people registered, and we did all of that in about seven or eight weeks. 
and we did it for 200 pounds. So it just shows what you can do online that you couldn't possibly consider doing in a physical event. And I know we're going to talk about that in a little while, but just in that context, I was talking to a friend who works at Esri and um, Esri had their annual user conference in July, as probably everyone on this call knows. Typically, you'll get 15,000 people trooping to San Diego for a week to engage in the Esri user conference. You know, it's a massive event. It's the biggest gathering in the geo world, I would say. Yeah. This year, they had to reshape the event at a few months' notice, and they took the whole event online, all the streams, all the content, panels, keynotes, everything. They had 80,000 people registering. That's phenomenal. It's just gobsmacking, isn't it? 80,000 people. So, you know, that's five times what they would get at a physical event. And even if, you know, half of those people were no shows, that's still more than double what they would get at a physical event. And I think it, it just points us to ask questions about big physical events in the future. Whether they're needed. Well, this is, of course, an endless debate that we have. I mean, big events is one thing, but even smaller events like, like Geomob itself. So in, in mid-July, we had another very good event, in my opinion, actually excellent talks. We had five very good speakers, and I really enjoyed it. But of course, it's still not the same as the, the old in-person events where, where the much more mixing and mingling. So a couple of days ago, I sent out the, the Geomob newsletter, which goes out once a month. And you, dear listeners, should should, of course, sign up. If you're not yet on the newsletter, just go to our website and drop your email in. But basically, I put I put the question to the community for these online events. How are people finding them? Are we, you know, should we should we keep going as we've been doing it? Should we should we try to change things a bit? Should we what can we do? And I've had a mixed response. You know, some people have said they love the current format, particularly people who aren't in one of the cities where in, in London or Barcelona or whatever. And so they haven't been able to participate in a Geomob in the past. And then other people said, look, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, I'm kind of burned out on online events and, you know, it's hard to keep, you know, it's, it's just not the same. And I have sympathy, of course, with both sides. So, so let me reiterate that call. Of course, anyone out there listening, if you have feedback on or ideas or, or you've seen examples at other events that have worked well, you know, please get in touch and let us know. Uh, our next event will actually be on Wednesday, the 16th of September. And so that still gives us a, a fair amount of time if we want to change things up a bit on the format. Obviously, the, the core will be the same. We want to have some interesting talks, but I would I would like to find some way that we better stimulate the networking and the mingling and the, and I don't know. So here's, here's a thought. I think definitely for anyone who's not in a Geomob city, this is fantastic because they get to experience Geomob, listen to the speakers and all of that. And that's a great thing. And I think it's also great for the speakers, you know, because... So they, they reach a bigger audience. They reach the bigger audience. We're recording them so that people can watch them afterwards. All of those things are good. I think there is some online burnout. You know, we're, we're all just fed up with staring at a screen. You know, there's only so much screen time you can take. So... One thought from me would be that we shorten it slightly. In other words, we keep it to an hour. Yeah. And maybe we only have three speakers because actually it doesn't make a lot of difference. You know, you can come along for an hour. The other thing that might be good would be to just try for once, instead of just having limited questioning, to actually open it up for conversation rather than questioning the speaker so that you've got some discussion interspersed with, with the speakers. 
Well, I think we need to try new ideas. I don't. Uh, yeah. The problem there is, of course, you know, when someone has a good comment, it's fantastic. When someone has a bad comment, like not not I don't I mean like a negative comment, but just a badly formulated comment or whatever, you know, it can it can derail yeah. things. And yeah, that's so yeah, that's true. Hmm. You know, one thing that we did at the last one in the middle of July was we did shorten it a bit. Uh, the one in June was perhaps a bit too long. Some of the speakers went a bit over and we had six speakers. So the one in July, we only had five speakers and I was quite rigorous about keeping it to 15 minutes each. Maybe, maybe we should go even shorter. Yeah, maybe that's maybe we should only have three or four speakers very brief and then have more time for mingling somehow in yeah. breakout rooms and things or, or maybe we should start with some of the mingling. I don't know. That's an idea as well. Maybe start with when with you arrive, room. you get you go into a breakout room for 10 minutes or so, chat to somebody or five minutes in a breakout room, then we shuffle the breakout rooms and you have two breakout rooms before you start the yeah, maybe that's right. I, I mean, one thing that is just speaking for myself is, you know, you watch the talks and that's great. But then at that point, you've been in front of the screen for an hour and you're ready for kind of a break. So then going into yeah. the breakout room, you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm ready to get up or whatever. So and I seem to remember there was for me after the July one, there was a football game, you know, and I wanted to get to watch the football game. You know, I mean, I think it's, you know, if you could get the timing right so that people didn't have to give up their evening, that's another thing. Well, we could do it during the day, sure, but then, you know, there's always something, you know. Not in the day, but, you know, we fin if you start at 7 o'clock or yeah. even 6.30 and you finish at 8 o'clock, you can still go on to do something in the evening. Right, gotcha. Whereas, you know, when we're having a physical geomob, you know, I mean, we go on to the pub and we can stay in the pub for as long as we want to. And, you know, some, you, know you and I have spent <laughs> some late nights closing the pub down whilst we're drinking our last whiskeys or whatever it is. But that's fine. That's no different to going out for the evening with your mates, is it? Exactly. So there's a few thoughts for how we might change it. And uh, let's try shaking it up a little bit for the, when, for the September one. All right, we'll do that. But yeah, as I said, anyone out there listening who has feedback about what they liked about the events, what they disliked about the events, what we could change, please get in touch and let us know. What, what else can we talk about here, Steve? What's new with Mappery? How's Mappery going? Well, Mappery carries on. It, it's interesting, you know, there are times when I get worried that we're going to run out of submissions and then a flood of things come in, you know, but we've got a few quite dedicated contributors. But what has been interesting, actually, is a couple of the podcast interviews that I've done recently, which haven't yet been published, have come through Mappery. All right, really? So, yeah, people who follow Mappery send me messages like, have you seen this? And I go and look at it and think, wow, that's great. Um, but it's more an interview than, than it is just posting a picture of a map. So... I mean, for example, Quentin Lake, whose interview we'll be releasing in a week or two, I think. Yes. This is a guy walking around the perimeter of the UK. And somebody sent me a link saying, have you seen this? And then yesterday I interviewed a lady called Nan Deardorff McLean, who's a, a Dutch ceramic mosaic designer, and she's created this massive crowdsourced ceramic map. You'll have to wait to listen to the to the podcast interview. But again, this came from somebody who follows Mappery and sent me a 
picture of this and then followed up and said, let me introduce you to the woman who made it. So, you know, it's interesting that I'm starting to see a crossover between people who are interested in unusual maps who send them to me if our mappery and some of the podcast interviews I've been doing. So, Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. What about you? How's Open Cage gone through the summer? Does it just keep running whilst you go gallivanting around Europe? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, of course, I you know I can I can also work from here on my laptop, and and of course I'm not the only person who works on Open Cage. But it is true that in the summer we we you know I try to work a bit less. Nevertheless, we did push out one big new feature right before the trip, which was previously we had only allowed people to purchase subscriptions. Mainly, our customers were people who have an ongoing need for for geocoding at, at high volume and and they purchase a subscription in different sizes, small, medium, large, and, and that's great. But we would often get approached by people who didn't have an ongoing need, but they just kind of had a one-time need. So they would have a database of something they needed of addresses they needed geocoded or whatever. And, you know, it was, it, we never had a good solution for these people. Sometimes they would get a subscription for one month and then cancel, or sometimes, you know, that we would come up with some kind of ad hoc deal for them. So we decided that it was time to finally offer also one-time purchases. And uh, we rolled that out, uh, I guess, about a month ago. Yeah, that was, uh, that was you know, kind of a bigger project. Actually, I mean, the work was much less on the geocoding side and more just on our billing side and making sure it's self-service. And we discovered lots of, as you would expect, when you have a system designed for one use case, then later on it can be difficult to kind of enable a second use case. So we got it live with the kind of time pressure of, of going on the trip, but now we need to probably go back and do some cleanup of our code and and some refactoring and make sure everything's working smoothly. But that's probably the biggest change we've had in the last, let's say, in the last six, eight weeks. So, and are people using it? Yeah, some are. Some are, sure. It's, it's not an uncommon use case that people need one-off. We'll see how that evolves over time. And we haven't promoted it heavily yet. We wanted to make sure everything was working smoothly. Yeah, we also kind of used the summer as a time period for kind of getting out of the day-to-day -day noise, hopefully, and, you know, reflecting on the bigger picture and thinking about, you know, what comes for the, for when in September, when hopefully school restarts and stuff, you know, that's kind of when we make another big push. And, and so we've been doing some planning and thinking about that, what, what kind of features we need to add. And so, you know, let's everyone out there pray that school starts and, uh, it, yeah, absolutely. It's also, it's a year now, isn't it? Since you moved the company to a German registration, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Yes. That, well, uh, I think we did it legally. We set up the German company right before one of the Brexit days. I think it was in March of 2019. And then we moved the operation last summer in terms of like actually billing the customers from the German entity. And yeah, now we're a fully German entity. Um, Brexit means Brexit, unfortunately. So that about as much fun as you would expect in, in terms of dealing with lawyers and notaries and all that kind of thing. But I got to tell you, Stephen, I'm, I'm pretty thankful we're not based in the UK, given, given the impending hard Brexit or who knows what's going to happen. And I say that as someone who, you know, as a, I was an immigrant to the UK and I started a company there and, and grew the company. And, you know, I think at peak we were employing 20 people in the UK. And yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking to see. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, clearly, you know, for large companies and manufacturing business and 
the food chain and all sorts of things, it's going to be colossally disruptive. I'm a little bit more optimistic for digital businesses. One, I'm not sure how or where the borders will be, you know, but two, I just, I've got this faith in our ability to innovate and work ways around problems. You know, you see the way people have adapted to the virus and working from home. And you sort of think, you know, whatever Brexit brings, you know, it'll be a hiccup. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic for the digital economy. And maybe I'm being terribly naive or overly optimistic, but I think, uh, yeah, well, well, so I, I, work with. I, I agree with you. Obviously, technically, it would have been no problem. It would, you know, everything would have kept working if we'd stayed in the UK. The the issue that that pushed us over the edge, because, you know, this was not a trivial project, neither in terms of time nor cost. But the issue that kind of pushed us over the edge in the end was many of our EU customers were asking us, they're like, oh, you know, what about GDPR? But my data is going to be leaving the EU. You know, how are you going to deal with this? And the thing is, actually, our servers have always been in Germany. Um, and so their data never left the EU and whatever. And, and obviously, we always one of the things we place a heavy premium on is privacy and making sure everything is completely um, as safe as it can be there. And and so I could tell those you know, my existing customers, I could have a dialogue with them and say, look, everything's going to be fine. But my fear was for potential customers. I, I really think EU customers are just going to take a look at it and say, like, well, you know, GDPR, I want my data to stay in the EU. You're not in the EU. Fine, let me find someone else. And and then you don't even have a dialogue with them. That would be my that was my fear. And and we could see these questions were coming from our customers. This wasn't the only reason we moved. That definitely that was one thing that kind of pushed us over the edge. So but I, I take your point. I mean, yes, of course, digital digital companies people will find a way to survive, but it's gonna be there will be a hiccup, it'll be a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it means setting up an EU subsidiary or whatever. I don't you know, people can find ways to do it. I mean, one one challenge with our business as a purely digital business, you know, it, in many respects, you can ask whether the existing laws and tax and things, they don't, they're built for a previous time, pre-digital yeah. in the sense that, you know, I'm based in one place, the servers are in another place, the our customers in a third place, you know, who, who can say which you tell me when people ask, where is the business? You know, you tell me. I mean, literally, we have, cases, yeah, we have cases where the, the servers are in one place, the customer's in third country, maybe he's paying in U.S. dollars. You know, you, you can have all kinds of different configurations there. And so it's, it's not so trivial to say, you know, like what taxes should be paid, where, by whom. You know, it's, it's, it's not straightforward. And, and the I think in many regards, our, our legal framework is still based on the model of, you know, you produce a widget in town X and you sell it to a guy in town X in that same currency. And that, yep, that's not the reality. That's not reality anymore. So. Well, it wasn't the reality for a long time, you know, because with global supply chains in manufacturing, you know, you 100 years ago when you built a car in Michigan, all the parts were made in Michigan or nearby and shipped into the factory and assembled in the factory, you know, exactly. gradually that supply chain has spread all around the world anyway. So there were already a whole load of subtleties to that where, you know, intercompany transfers and where people took profits. But um, 
the digital age has just shown that to be completely scrambled that. And um, all the arguments that we get about how you tax an Amazon or um, a Facebook in in the modern environment, you know, that's a consequence of the fact that all of our regulations and our tax laws were based in a time long gone, you know. Yeah. And I think, but I do think just, you know, I just go back to what you said about Open Cage. Yeah. It's interesting that you run a business where the classic use case is somebody sends a pair of coordinates to your API and you send them back a location, maybe a street, maybe a city, whatever it is, mm. or they send you a street and you send them back a pair of coordinates. Correct. That's pretty much open cage, right? Not pretty much. Why, that is it. That is it. That is it, right? Now, why would anybody question GDPR? Oh, well, because an address is deemed personally identifiable information. And, you know, many customers, many, many, many users of our service send us addresses. Now, I, I completely agree with you. I can make the argument, you know, you can send us any address you want. I have no idea whether that's your customer, not your customer, you know, of course. But under GDPR, addresses are deemed personally identifiable information. But you so. don't store that. It passes through your API and you send back a response. You, Correct. you don't hold it. Correct. But nevertheless, at some point, I, you know, they, they send it to me, so they have to trust me that I'm not doing bad things with that. I, I completely agree with you, Stephen. I'm not, I, mean, I mean, of course, any, any logical analysis of this situation would conclude there is no privacy issue here. But, but you know, people get, you know, people are worried. If you run a business and your legal department says, we do have, we have customers, for example, that have, you know, let's say health organizations, health researchers or whatever, and they have a database of patient addresses or whatever. I mean, of course, I have no way to associate that address with any person or whatever. And, and I have even less desire to do so. But Nevertheless, these organizations are legally required to have a data processing agreement with whoever they work with and things like that. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I think if I was running a business in the UK today, regardless of whether the government retained GDPR, I'd stay GDPR compliant anyway. Of course, um, of course you should. But yeah. the issue is what we saw from our customers is if you're in the EU and you say you're GDPR compliant, people believe you. If you're not in the EU and you show you're GDPR compliant, you know, maybe they maybe their company has a policy where they have to then get that approved because the data is leaving the, you know, company, our customers, some of them, they want to be able to tell their customers or their users or whatever that the data never leaves the EU. And so that that was the risk yep. we saw. That was the that was anyway, the, you've done it and you're yeah. established as a GmbH. That's right. And we've had all the joys of learning, you know, many German tax vocabulary and things like that. So it's been it's been a journey, you know, but it's all yeah. part of the fun. So and you won't have to do that for another another decade, hopefully. <laughs> I'm hoping we don't have to do it ever. But anyway, that I guess that 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 was the main update for me. And I think we're starting to okay. you know, stray from geo topics. So any any That's closing rapid. notes or what, you got anything else or or no? No, I don't think so. I think that's probably, we said maybe this will be a short podcast, but it doesn't seem to have been. So let's call it a wrap. And I'll see you when you're back in Barcelona. 
I we, we will we will speak then and uh, yeah look forward to all those episodes that um, you kind of teased here a bit and uh, to all of our listeners out there enjoy the summer and okay. uh, as I said send us any feedback you have about the GeoMob event hope to see you all at the September 16th GeoMob event bye. see you then take care bye thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.